Spiritual Coaching Podcast. We're teaching spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. Welcome. The goal of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast is to encourage and equip those whose God-given mission is to provide spiritual direction to the Church of Jesus Christ. We're training warriors to fight for the human heart. Our spiritual coaching is driven by a singular belief that every wound in our heart that's left untouched by God will hinder how deeply we can know Him and how fully we can follow Him. Only healthy hearts are free to develop a relationship with God that outlasts the pressures of life and every unworthy claim for our loyalty and devotion. In this episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast, we'll move from the claim that I defended in our last session that victory over sin is possible to a description of what victory is, you know, what, what it looks like, what we should expect when we say that we can have victory over sin. Let's get started. To accept defeat after exasperating defeat, as if defeat were all we can expect, is essentially saying that Jesus wasn't completely victorious. Let me say that another way. If we accept continual defeat in the face of the same sin over and over, we might as well say that Jesus didn't, um, his death wasn't sufficient, his sacrifice wasn't successful in winning victory over sin. Yet, if we elect God to live in us without restriction, which is apparently possible since it's suggested in the Bible, there should be periods of uninterrupted holiness. Yes, periods of sinlessness. Uh, stretches between sins. Uh, maybe, hold on to your hats, even days between sins. Now, there's always the possibility of sinning, so we can't, you know, dismiss that potential. Unfortunately, uh, we still will act like slaves, even though we're actually free. But acting and being are two different animals. Christ has set us free, and we are no longer slaves. Pretending to be slaves, acting like we're still imprisoned when we're free, men and women, makes little sense. Even though Jesus was victorious over sin, proven by his resurrection, will always be capable of exerting self and acting independently of God. That's a truth we really have to hold on to. Therefore, complete or continuous sinlessness isn't possible. Uh, we're not only capable of re-exerting self, but we'll certainly do so given enough time. But when he is our life and the surpassing greatness of his power is working in us, nothing is impossible because nothing is impossible for God. We may, we may lose the fight initially against some new temptation or sin, but we must not expect to live in defeat to every new attack that comes at us. Now, um, we're going to try to, uh, I don't know, add a few more shades, a few more colors, a, a few more dimensions to the, the idea of victory. Um, and um, we're going to do it this way by saying that victory is not suppression. Some might be tempted to look at suppression of sin as all the victory that's available. And by suppression, I mean that we're tempted. Uh, you know, we strive really hard and exercise discipline, and then we don't give in to the temptation most of the time. But we're always having to suppress the same desires that never go away. You know, the, the, there are certain sins that we, we want to commit, impulses in our flesh that just won't be ignored or denied. Since we never defeat that flesh impulse, we're in constant suppression mode. In other words, we still want to sin, but have to suppress the urge. Now, some look at victory 
uh, as successful suppression. And that is sometimes the case, but is not what we define as victory over sin. Um, denial is a related tactic we uh, for making suppression seem like victory. You know, we'll tell ourselves it's not that bad a sin. Everyone struggles with sin. We're only human. We can't have full victory this side of glory. And either deny the problem exists or that victory is possible. What a horrible way to live by always suppressing our impulses. Now, be clear, I'm not advocating impulsivity or that we should be giving into every appetite that rears its ugly head. Please don't hear that in my words because the opposite is true. I'm just talking about being free to express what God put inside us without the fear that doing so will let some undefeated sin out into the light of day. I repeat that. I'm talking about being free to express what God put inside of us without the fear that doing so will let some undefeated sin out into the light of day. Living with that fear means that we're never really passionate, seldom authentic, and rarely trust the true us and almost never let the genuine article have full vent. Suppression keeps our gifts and calling under some degree of cloak for fear that what comes out will be what we've been working so hard to suppress or deny. That is not victory. So, if victory is not suppression, then what victory is, is expression. Incidentally, we're told to not stifle or quench or suppress the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. We're told to put into action God's saving work in our lives, which sounds nothing like fearfully keeping what he has deposited in us, caged up and out of sight. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, that was in Philippians 2.12, and it goes on to say that God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Did you hear that? We've been given the power we need to please God. How is that power set free? When we're holding back and curbing our life for fear that if we don't, if we pull back the covers to let the gift within us out, that more will come out than we want, exposing the truth that we have made a peace agreement with some sin. God wants us free so we can express and experience what he has dreamed for us instead of living in fear, concealment, smallness, and suppression. Okay? God wants us free so we can express and experience what he has dreamed for us instead of living in fear, concealment, smallness, and suppression. So, victory is not suppression, but an expression. And, now, let me add to that, victory is not a power. So, push further, we can say that victory is not a power as much as it is a person. Victory comes not through our own strength, determination, or discipline, but by giving up and letting God be our all. Here Paul preached this glorious truth to the ancient truth in Galatia. I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Lord is our victory and he gives us victory. He alone is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our refuge, our stronghold, our high tower, our salvation, our shield, our redeemer, our habitation, our strength. Victory is found in a person other than ourselves. And he gives it to us as a gift. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that refrain is repeated in 1 John 5, 3 through 5, where it says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And really, that isn't difficult. For every child of God defeats this evil world by trusting Christ to give the victory. And the ones who win this battle against the world are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, victory is not a power. Victory is a person. Jesus is our victory and the way to victory. We have nothing without him. Severed from him, we can produce no good fruit or anything that pleases God. John 15, 5 says that apart from him, we can do nothing. It doesn't say that when we're separated from his power, we can do nothing. But when we're separated from him, we have to remain connected just as a branch must be connected to the trunk of a tree to bear fruit. This fruit is not deserved, earned, or entitled. And the way to let Christ live through us is to die to ourselves, which is also implied in the Galatians statement I read earlier. I have been crucified with Christ. Just as with the seed that is planted, unless we die, we can bear no fruit. The theological idea that I'm teaching to is the idea of death to self. I like to use another term I found in my reading, um, and it's called the exchanged life. Now, I realize this is a difficult concept. Uh, it's hard to grasp just by listening to it being taught. It's a deep truth, but needs to be understood by coaches and the coached alike. So another way to think about this is to contrast the difference be rep between repairing something and replacing it. The gospel does not mention a repair of the human heart. The wording that's used over and over doesn't describe mending or reclamation, but replacement. Actually, God does his work through death and new birth. Or another way of saying it is that God doesn't rework the human heart. He does an exchange. The old is gone and the new is put in its place. We live an exchanged life. When we enter into the family of God through Christ's victory over sin and death on the cross, we essentially die to be born again or born new. Even Jesus admits that this is impossible to satisfactorily explain. God doesn't repair our heart when he makes us new creatures. He exchanges it. He exchanges it for a new one. Exchange is the way to victory. That new heart can yield to God and is free to do so, allowing him to be the victory we need for us instead of us trying to mimic him in our own strength. Back again in Romans 6, we read that we share his new resurrected life. Anytime we take his leading and then run off to accomplish his will for him, we're apart from him. Let me repeat that. Anytime we take his leading, but then run off to accomplish his will for him by ourselves, we're apart from him. <coughs> he doesn't want our pitiful strength. He desperately is, desperately is looking for weak people who will rejoice in their helplessness and boast in his greatness. The way Paul tells the story is that God wants us weak because when we are, God and his strength are free to be released in us, making us strong. Listen to these words of King David, a guy who knew a little something about winning battles. He says in Psalms, 30, in Psalm 33, the best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord 
watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We depend on the Lord alone to save us. Only he can help us, protecting us like a shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we are trusting in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Now there's other verses like that, a score of them, on victory. At the end today, we'll tell you how to get a transcript of today's show. And those other verses will be listed there. So here's the case I'm trying to make. Reoccurring sin that cycles back around to drag us down again and again can be defeated. It must not be accepted. It must not be shown leniency. It must not be assumed there's just something to be minimized and lived with. The cycle can be broken. Instead of suppressing and hiding, faking victory, ignoring defeat, and otherwise coming to peaceful terms with it, we can overcome right now, right here. Not because we try real hard and discipline it away, but because our victory is the Lord's. Spiritual coaches, you may not understand all the words and ideas that I just threw at you, but you need to, theologically and personally. You may not be able yet to grasp just what death to self or the other term I use is the exchange life is all about, but you need to investigate it, know about it, be able to explain it, and have experienced it. On that note, today I'm going to give you some titles that you can pick up and read. These books aren't typically read by most Christians, and the ideas they present are, are deeper than most will ever go in their thinking about their life as a Christ follower. But you need to have a grasp on the idea of brokenness and the self-life because you'll find the need for brokenness as a solution to your own self-referenced life and that of those you coached. You coach. The strong independence and resistance to authority that characterizes excessive self-dependence will be present in every life you coach and your own heart as well. Almost all these volumes are over 50 years old, and you may have to use a website that sells used and out-of-print volumes to get your hands on them. And I also am going to encourage you to read them in this following order. The first book is The Calvary Road. The Calvary Road by Roy and Revel Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N. After that, I list A Tale of Three Kings, A Story in Brokenness. And that is by Gene Edwards. The third one is They Found the Secret by V. Raymond Edmund. That's E-D-M-A-N is the last name. A really kind of deeper work that you're going to have to maybe read a little bit more slowly to get through is the book Born Crucified by L.E. Maxwell. And the last one is How to Live the Victorious Christian Life by an Unknown Christian. Now, one final plug. You can see, can you see why the obsessive focus on relationship with God is so important? As spiritual coaches, we must not focus on sin or not sinning, but keep our eyes stubbornly fixed on our champion, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. On the one who is seated again on his heavenly throne from which he defeats every foe, realizing that in him we're also seated with him in that place of ultimate victory and are also conquerors in him, in Christ. One last verse, and then I will close out. Uh, actually, it's a few verses from Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. 
But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. All right, next time on the Spiritual Coaching Podcast, we'll take the subject a little deeper into what victory looks like as a progressive movement towards spiritual maturity. honored that you've taken the time to give us a listen as we teach spiritual coaches how to guide Christians into a full and fearless devotion to God. If you'd like to contact Pastor Kara to ask a question, give feedback, or sign up for coaching, you have two options. First, you can visit our coaching website by going to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching. Be sure to hyphenate life coaching. When there, just click the button in the blue banner. On that page, you'll also find free tools to use in your spiritual coaching practice. Additionally, you will find a link to a blog where you can get a transcript of today's show, filled with Bible references and other content not mentioned on the podcast. Second, you can email Pastor Carrie directly at carrie at tworivers.church. That's carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, at two, T-W-O, rivers.church. If this content was helpful, please jump over to iTunes and SoundCloud. Search for the Spiritual Coaching Podcast and give us a like and share the podcast so that more people like yourself can find us. Again, thank you, and we hope to see you on our next episode of the Spiritual Coaching Podcast.